finding the uh, ultimate sexual experience and because of that there are a lot of things that lead to confusion in this particular area and uh, one of the things that just amazes me sometimes is that you know just the confusion it's kind of like everyone's got an idea of, of what this is all about and where it's kind of like where that kind of information abounds so does much confusion and I love the story that I heard about a, um, a little boy I guess he had had a tough time uh, breaking the thumb sucking habit and his mom was doing everything that she could to just break this little boy's habit. And she tried everything. She tried dipping it and stuff. She tried, you know, offering him rewards. She tried punishing him. And nothing was working. And you know, moms, when you're trying to train your children in a certain area and it just isn't flying, you can get real frustrated sometimes. So she tried one last-ditch effort to get him to break this habit. And, and out of frustration, she turned and they were out one day. And there was a very obese person that was walking by. And she said, see, son, that's what happens when you suck your thumb. And the little boy was like, whoa, man, you know, and he was thinking about this, and, and for a few days he was thinking about it. Well, one day they were in a grocery store, and they were shopping, and they go walking around the aisle, and there's a lady who was very, very pregnant. And um, the little boy was fascinated by what he saw, and uh, he couldn't really put all this together, and he was thinking about it, and he was just kind of sitting there, kind of staring at her. And, the, and the, the pregnant woman got a little frustrated by it all, and she said, excuse me, son, you know, that's not polite to be staring at me like that. You know, please stop staring at me, you know, particularly since you don't even know me. And the little boy thought for a second, he goes, yeah, but I know what you've been doing. <laughs> so there's that type of confusion that's out there. It's just, it's there, and uh, what we got to do is try to deal with it in some ways. So anyway, um, we're kind of looking, for, you know, we're like a, like a surfer looking for a perfect wave. I think that, you know, we're being taught that there's a perfect or an, the ultimate sexual encounter that takes place. You know, when we begin to measure these things on sex meters of some sort, and they measure them in the labs now, the intensity of your uh, pleasures. And it goes on and on. And it's kind of like, I love the song, it says, you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. And it's kind of like not only in all the wrong places, but in all the wrong reasons and in all the wrong ways. And as we go through it, I love, this, is, this, this summarizes it. Local columnist who, thank God, he isn't living in this area anymore. But uh, this guy was just unbelievable. Here's what he wrote to a graduating class of high school seniors as he gave them advice as to how about to go in the future direction that they were going to explore. And he said this, before you get married and settle down with a spouse and kids and a mortgage and all the rest of it, have at least two wildly passionate love affairs. During at least one of these love affairs, run away with your lover and get as far as Paris before deciding the whole thing is a mistake and indulge in a huge, wonderfully sad breakup. Now, this is like 20 different things that he gave advice, and here's another one. This is good. Set high standards of honesty and integrity for yourself, and then, <laughs> and then live by those standards even if someone criticizes you or makes fun of you. Ah, but here's the best one. This one ties it all together and it makes sense. Explore other religions and maybe even convert to another religion. Remember the religion that serves you best is the religion that answers your own particular questions. And I like that. That's the kind of advice we get. So when, when that kind of advice is out there, and it is out there, it doesn't surprise me when I run across article after article of confusion that takes place. And this was probably the best one. Uh, poll. This is the headline. Youth's religious faith, small factor in sexual behavior. Washington, D.C. Associated Press. Nearly 80% of college students say religion is important in their lives, but their faith has relatively little effect on their sexual behavior and attitudes, according to a new campus survey. Half the 539 students questioned in a Gallup poll commissioned by the Christian Broadcasting Network said they read the Bible and at least occasionally 
at least occasionally 55% said they had attended church or synagogue in the month preceding the survey. 42% said religion is very important to them, while 37% said it was somewhat important. Nevertheless, 69% of students said that they do not believe premarital sex is wrong, and 56% said they approve of living together in trial mar marriages. Half said they approve of the current status of abortion rights, uh, with 9% of female students saying they had had an abortion, and 15% of the male saying their partners had had one. Okay. What else we got here? Oh, here's a good one. This is a Census Bureau. For, for women aged 15 to 29, 40% of their firstborn children were conceived outside of marriage in the years 1985 through 1988. Of that, 40%, 11, only 11% got married before their, children were or their child was born, and 29% chose not to get married. I like the San Francisco law that just passed recently, recognizing live-in partners. Quote, this is long overdue, said Scott Smith, who was the lover of Harvey Milk, San Francisco's first gay supervisor who was assassinated in 1978. Quote, our relationships are just as valid as non-gay relationships. Ah, and here's the one that I really wanted to share. That was just to build it up to this point. Madonna justifies her new video to Nightline viewers. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. An uncut showing of Madonna's racing new video, Justify My Love, helped catapult Nightline to its largest audience this year, Monday. Though the sexually adventurous content of the video provoked a little negative response from its late night viewers. Nightline, which doubled its normal viewing audience, it, it went to a, a 10.2 rating, 36% share of the viewers tuned to TV during the half hour in the nation's 25 most populous markets. So if you want to translate it, each rating point represents 931,000 households or 1% of the nation's 93 million homes with television. So 9.3 million people tuned in to check out what all the controversy was all about. So as they were interviewing Madonna, she had this to say. The video storyline in which Madonna has an encounter with a lover played by her real-life boyfriend, Tony Ward, in a Paris hotel. The video portrays the couple's fantasies, which run to bisexuality, voyeurism, group sex, cross-dressing, and mild sadomasochism. Madonna didn't bear a chest, though an actress wearing only suspenders for a top did. Half of me thought I was going to get away with it, Madonna said via satellite from Los Angeles. She said the video with its chains, black leather, and crucifixes was about, quote, honesty and the celebration of sex. There's nothing wrong with that. Is there? There's nothing wrong with that, is there? You know what? And, and if it's an honest question, it deserves an honest answer. If an answer is being sought, then I don't have a problem with someone saying, is there something wrong with it? Because what we need to do is to be informed enough to be able to let people know whether there is something wrong with it. What do you tell? 59 or 60% of college students who claim to be Christians or claim to be Bible believers or whatever who say that they don't see a problem with premarital sex. What do you say to people that are asking those questions? If you're not informed, you don't know what to say. And so that brings us to a very simple point, and that brings us to the Bible. If we want to know what God has to say about the, the sexual activities of our life, then what better place to go to than the Bible where God lets us know what he thinks about everything? So we go and we turn to it and we look at it and we say, okay, Madonna, if you really want to know, then I need to care enough to check it out and find out and I'll let you know what God has to say. Because it's not my opinion. It doesn't really matter what my opinion is, but God does have something to say about it. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to use them, but I, I kind of cheat a little bit so I can cover a little more ground. There are five things or five points to consider as we discuss 
sex in, our, in the sexual area of our life. What does God have to say about the sexual area of our life? The first thing he says is this. Refrain from sexual immorality. It is God's will. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should, be, should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4, that whole passage, verses 1 through 8, deal with that particular subject. So, as we ask the question, what is wrong with it? What does God have to say about it? The first thing he says is very simple, and that is to refrain from sexual immorality, which is all sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage, according to Scripture, is simply wrong. It doesn't get any simpler than that. But we complicate it as much as possible. So that means, if you think of anything that you want as far as an area of sexual immorality, that means adultery is wrong. It's sex outside of the marriage relationship with a different person. It's wrong. It means that homosexuality is wrong. Why is it wrong? Because it's sex outside of heterosexual marriage. Whether we ever get to the point where we start recognizing those relationships isn't really an issue anyway because God said for this purpose he made them man and woman. So as you go through it, he said that anything outside of heterosexual marriage is wrong. So adultery is wrong, homosexuality is wrong, incest is wrong, rape is wrong. I mean, just go down through the list. Uh, bestiality is wrong. Those things are all wrong. Anything that has to do with sex outside of heterosexual marriage, according to the Bible, is wrong. And that's what it says. So God says, you know what my will is in that area of your life? That you don't do it any other way. You know, regardless of all how we can do it and all the bumper stickers that say who does it best and how you do it, God says there's only one way to do it, and that's the way I say to do it, and that's the best way to do it. So whether you're a carpenter or a plumber or whatever those little things are, <laughs> it doesn't really matter, you know what I mean? This kind of all falls in line there. So as you go through it, he also says in Ephesians 5, 3 and 4, he says, but among you, speaking of Christians, those who, who identify themselves with Christ, and this is an important thing to keep in mind. When God is instructing us in the area of our sexual being, He is instructing those who have a right relationship with God through Christ. He is saying, the, for you, i got a different plan. And your plan is going to be simply this. But among you, among us, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Don't even joke around. Don't even pretend. Don't even give those funny little sexual innuendos at the office that we do. Those little innocent little things that lead up to things that end up being a lot more problems than it's worth. Those little things of, oh, yeah, yeah, I wish I could. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. He says, don't do it. Any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy or separated people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And it goes on and says, and you know what? And you'll find out what pleases the Lord. That's what pleases God. Do you want to please God? He says, that's what will do it. So we move into the second area. Not only are we to refrain from sexual immorality, but then the problem is you start to scratch your head because you wonder why people enter into sexual uh, relationships that are not pleasing to God. You know, why do people end up doing what they do? Why does someone who at one point in their life would say, oh, homosexuality, man, that's disgusting. I could never do that. And all of a sudden end up in that kind of situation. Or like the guy I shared with you last week who said, adultery? Oh, man, not me. I'd never have an affair. Not me. That's one area in my life that I got covered, baby. Not me. That'll never fall in that area. 
The next thing you know, he's in the middle of it, and he doesn't know what happens, and his head's just all fogged up, and he can't figure out how it happened and how he's going to get out of it and what's going on. And then all of a sudden, it's not that bad anymore. Well, you don't understand, man. My wife's just not meeting my needs, see? Oh, okay. Well, you know, you don't understand. I mean, why did God give me these desires that he gave me? I mean, because God gave me these desires. I mean, what does he expect me to do? He's given them to me, so, you know, I, I must be able to express them, right? Hey, we're going to get married anyway. Went through this one last night talking with some friends. Well, you know, it's kind of like you got to try it on before you, you know, you make that kind of commitment. Now, I'm not, I, was, I, I wasn't a, a big science major and anatomy and biology and all that kind of stuff really doesn't interest me a whole lot. But I've never run across too many people that said it didn't fit. <laughs> well, think about it. I mean, to say that, sign like, hey, this isn't shoes, baby. This isn't shoes. You wear a size 9, you're okay, you're not going to get in a 7. These aren't shoes we're talking about here. And this is the same thing that, you know, kids come through sometime. All right? Think about it. It'll work out. That's not an area you need to find out whether you're compatible in or not. You can trust God in that area. He got that thing taken care of. That's, that, that'll work out. So it's kind of like, well, how do people get involved in all this stuff? You know, we, have, we play these little mind games, and we come up with all kind of reasons why we need to do what we do or how it happens or why it happens. And so what God says is that we need to recognize the cause of sexual immorality. See, if we're going to deal with sexual immorality in our life, we need to understand what causes it. And I think the cause is going to be exciting because that's how we have to deal with it. We need to deal with the root issue and not the symptoms. We are a symptomatic society. We're trying to put bandages on things that uh, aren't going to make it any better anyway. So let's just get right to the issue. And so Jesus, when he was asked about it, he was, real, he was upfront about it. And he just said, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. You know, for from within, out of men's hearts comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these things come from inside, and they make a man unclean. While our, our environment may contribute to our problem, and pornography contributes to the problem whether it's in video form or whether it's in magazines or whatever it is. And clothing that women wear may contribute to the problem, but that's not the problem. The problem is the heart of man. That's the problem. And so while we may try to legislate and do all we can to remove those things from our environment, and I'm not saying whether we should or shouldn't, and I'm not saying you know, that that won't help the problem, the truth of the matter is the problem is in the human heart. And whether we eliminate every X-rated movie and video and whether we eliminate all pornographic material, and I advocate it, and I don't think it would hurt any, but it's not going to change the hearts of men and women. That won't do it. It's the heart. we got a heart problem. we got a heart condition. So Jesus went on, and when he was talking about uh, adultery, he said, you know, you've heard, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What is he saying? He's saying, you know what? If you're looking to have sexual intercourse with a woman and you're thinking that's the gal I want to spend some time with and you're already thinking about it and you're already looking forward to it and you got the person picked out, then he said, you know what? All you're lacking is opportunity because it's going to happen. 
And it was a specific woman. And it was a specific act of having intercourse with that woman. So what he was warning was, he said, hey, you know what? The problem's in your heart, buddy. Your heart needs to be dealt with. So James goes on and he illustrates it a little bit further. And he says it and puts it in these terms. He said that when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so it gives us in, in a very in vivid imagery what the problem is as far as lust in our own hearts. And he goes through it and he tries to help us to see that it's, it's a process. And he's saying when we're tempted, the first thing you don't want to say and you cannot say is, God, you made me with these desires. God knows he made you and me with those desires. But we can't be tempted to say, God, it is your problem because you're trying to get me to do wrong. You're trying to cause me to slip up. And that's the argument. Well, I mean, why did he make me with these desires if he doesn't want me to express them? But the Bible says, oh, wait a minute. Hey, God says, all right, I made you with those desires, but I never intended it to be a stumbling block for you to do evil. Then he goes on. And he says, for God doesn't, and he can't tempt anyone with evil because it's against the character of God. We need to know who God is. So then he says, but each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and is enticed by the desire of our heart. We want to, hey, look, you know what? I mean, the way it falls down to is this. You want to have, you want to commit adultery? It's because you want to commit adultery. You want to have a homosexual relationship? It's because you want to have a homosexual relationship. You know, it, that's just as simple as it can be put. It's because you want to do it. I want to do it. It's a desire of my heart that goes against the, the creative order of God. But he says, if you do it, it's because you just simply want to do it. This is exciting because if, that, if you begin to understand that's the case, then you also see how simple it is to stop doing it. All right? So it's not genetic. It's not hereditary. It's not the environment. It's not all these things that you have no control over. It's real simple. It's your desires. You want to do it? You do it. If you recognize it's wrong, you stop doing it. It's as simple as that. So he goes on and says, you know, and he's dragged away and enticed. So, okay, we got this desire in our heart. we got a desire to do something sexually that's not pleasing to God. So we're wrestling with it. We're struggling with it. And sometimes we feed that desire by looking at pornographic material. Sometimes we feed that desire by playing little sexual innuendo games with one another. We feed that and we continue to stimulate that desire. And so all of a sudden, I'm dragged away and I'm enticed by the desire that's already in my heart. And so you got David who is watching Bathsheba take a bath. He's already got the desire to have sex in his heart. So he watches her and he begins to become enticed by his own desires. He sees her, he wants to have sex with her, and after the desire has conceived, which is now at a point at the, at the, at the doorpost of your mind, you say, I'm going to have sex with her. Bang. It's conceived. Then you know what? Once it's conceived, it's got to give birth. It's got to give birth. And so it gives birth and it becomes sin. So David's desire in his heart to have sex with Bathsheba, he conceived it in a moment when he said, I'm going to have sex with her. At that point, he sent to have her brought to his room. It was conceived at that point. There was no turning back. It brought forth sin and he had sex with her. And he was dragged away by his own desire. It says, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
And when it continues to develop, there's an inevitable aspect that God warns us will take place. So as we begin to look at those things, um, basically here's six facts that we need to remember. Let's go through them one at a time because they're the kind of things that there's a lot of misconceptions about. Okay, here's six facts of what we've just talked about in a nutshell because it'll fit for some of you. <laughs> Think about it. You know, I, it was a, that's, a, that's a crummy joke, but obviously when no one laughs, it certainly is. But, um, but it's like it's the joke about the wife who said that when her husband has a great idea, you know, it, it's, he has it in it and it would fit in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. You know, you know, it's one of those things where I try to pull jokes out of left field to try to loosen you up a little bit because I'm feeling the tension, you know what I mean? And, and you know what I'm saying? And it gets a little warm up here, and, uh, man, I got to send these out, and this one's about ready to be burned. I wore it twice, and it's got to go. So um, you just keep going through shirts like this, man. Anyway, here we go. Ready? Number one, sexual desire is not sinful. Sexual desire is not sinful. God did create us with sexual desires, and the good news is there's nothing wrong with that. So don't think that you got a problem. You only do, depending on how you want to express it. So sexual desire is not sinful. Maybe frustrating, but it's not sinful. Number two, sexual immorality is always sinful. Having sex any other way except for heterosexual marriage is wrong before God. Plain and simple, period, and that's it. Number three, God never tempts any of us to commit se sexual sin. It's against his character. He doesn't give you se sexual desires so he can set you up so you can fall in the area of, of your sexual being. It's not like, you know, a lot of us where we set people up so we can kick them in the butt. God doesn't do that. just says, hey, you got the desires, but I've also got the program, and so he never tempts us to commit sexual sin. Number four, we sin because we want to carry out sexual desire. We have no one else to blame but ourselves. We do it because we want to do it. Number five, sex within marriage is never condemned or minimized. God says if you're married heterosexually, then you can just have one good time and just have at it and have a blast. And there's no restraints on how you do it, what you do. There's some great info, Song of Solomon, read it, go crazy, steam up the mirrors. I mean, it is some good stuff. And God says it is a celebration. Have a great time. And um, number six, sexual immorality is an act that deliberately resists the Holy Spirit and violates the law of God. And we'll get into that as we put all this together. But it deliberately resists. For a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God, as we're informed of the knowledge of God, the Holy Spirit of God begins to work in our life and convict us of areas what God says are wrong. For the Christian to ignore the whispering of the Holy Spirit in their life, it is a deliberate thing. You know what it's like? It's like for a Christian to commit sexual immorality, it's, it's, it's you know, God saying, hey man, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, shut up, man. I want to do it. Well, hey, I'm just telling you, you're not supposed to do it. And in fact, if you do it, there's all kind of consequences and stuff. Remember that time you studied that? Boy, remember that? Oh, but hey. And he's like, oh, man. And it's like you got this little argument. You know, you're walking down the street, you look like a nutso person, you know. It's like, no, man, I'm not do it, man. I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what you say. You know, like, shut up. And he goes, hey, I'm telling you right now, it's wrong. And you have this big battle that's going on. For a Christian, we have that voice within us, the Holy Spirit of God, that says, don't do what you're thinking of doing. And so you have to deliberately resist that conviction to be able to continue on the direction that you want to go. You've got to tell them to shut up. And it violates the law of God when we do it. So that brings us to a very simple thing. Okay, well then, what does please God in the area of our sexual desires? And it doesn't get any simpler than this. Realize what pleases God in the area of our sexual desires? 
First of all, 1 John 3.22 says, And receive from him anything that we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. One of the things that God desires more than anything else in our life is simply that we walk in obedience. It's as simple as that. He says, this is what I say, this is what I want you to do. Just walk in obedience with me. And we have fellowship with Him. And our will becomes His will. And we can ask, of anything, ask Him anything that we want because it's within the will of God. So what He's saying is, you know what? If you want to please God in the area of your sexual uh, uh, being, He's saying, just do this. Just walk in obedience with Him. Well, then how do I express the sexual desires that I have? Good question. 1 Corinthians 7, 1, through, 1 and 2 says, Now the matters that you wrote about, it's good for a man not to marry. But since there's so much immorality, since there is so much temptation and pressure to express yourself sexually, each man should have his own wife. Each male should have his own female. And each woman, her own husband. You want to express your sexual desires in ways pleasing to God? Then if you're single, get married. If you're a man, marry a woman. If you're a woman, marry a man. If you're having sex with somebody who's not your spouse, stop doing it and channel that energy in the direction back towards your spouse, which is pleasing to God. That's what he says will please him. So we go down through it, and there's one area that we have to look at, and it's the area that I hope just scares the sin out of every one of us because there are results of sexual immorality. There are consequences for sexual immorality. And here are four of them. We'll go through them one at a time. The results are very simple. And they're broken out and clearly taught in Scripture. First, there's emotional distress. If you're going to have sex any other way but the way God says to do it, you're going to go through emotional hell. Emotional distress. It'll rip you apart. The second thing is you'll go through physical defilement. And we'll talk about that. You're going to have problems physically that you never dreamt would ever be possible, and it all comes back to sexual immorality. You're going to have marital difficulties, which is an obvious problem, obviously. If you're married and you're having sex outside of your marriage, there is a certain problem that you'll probably run into there. And the last thing is that you also experience spiritual defeat. Every one of those things are a result of sexual immorality. That's what the Bible teaches, and we can't steer clear of it. I mean, we just have to lay it out. Because I think if the facts are known, more people would come to wiser decisions about what they're doing with their bodies in our society. But as long as we don't recognize the cause, then there's all kind of confusion. And so it's like the columnist's advice, choose the religion that best serves what your desires are. Choose that religion that will advocate what it is that you want to do. And you see it happening all the time. Why do we have homosexual churches? Because we're picking out and making something happen to advocate our physical behavior. Why all of a sudden, you know, we, we, we'll have the, the church of who's screwing around with who, you know, and it doesn't really matter, you know, we're just open to one another. And, and, and it's kind of, that's, that's the way that it is. So we try to advocate our behavior and squeeze God into our mold instead of us looking at what he has to say. So emotional distress, look at the first one, okay? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires, which what? Wage war against your soul. Not against your body, but against your soul. Against the mind. The soul and the mind are intertwined in Scripture. You know, we're, we're, we're body, soul, and spirit. 
And we've got the physical side of our life. We've got the mental side of our life. And we've got the spiritual side of our life. And what he's saying is that, you know what? When you enter into sexual immorality, it's going to rip you apart mentally. You're going to log in your experiences. You're going to log, log in your encounters with other people. And it's going to tear you apart mentally. And the most personal question to ask somebody is, how many have you had sex with somebody outside of your spouse and you still to this day have that logged in on your mind? That person becomes one with you. That person becomes uniquely uh, arranged with you as a person for the rest of your life and you will experience mental difficulties and distress because of it. You can't get that person out of your mind. That person is there, and they will always be there. And that's one of the things, as people get remarried, they bring that baggage in there with them. It's hard to separate that emotional attachment that goes along with a physical relationship. You can't separate it. And God says, don't do it. You know why? Because it's going to wage war in your mind. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Isn't that really what the problem is? You got your desires and you want to do them. Doesn't that what causes the problems in your marriage? Isn't it what causes problems in business? You just want to do what you want to do when you want to do it, and that's just the way that it is. Isn't that what's causing all the problems? That's what James 4.1 says. You know what? I, and it's as simple as this. If you're tempted to have sex any other way than what God says is right, He says, if you want to avoid emotional distress, then don't do it. Don't do it the week or month or months or year that you have sex with someone that you're not committed to in a marital relationship will haunt you the rest of your life. And it's a short period of time to sacrifice the rest of your life. It says don't do it. Well, let's get into that, another aspect of it, and that's the physical defilement portion of it. And there's no way anybody, I don't care who you are and how creative you can become in doing scriptural gymnastics, you, you read these passages and you tell me what they say. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians 6. All sin outside of the body is against what we talked about already, against the mind, um, against the soul, uh, against the spirit of God. But there's one sin, sexual sin, you defile your own physical body. And there's a passage that deals with a young man who was... Uh, tempted to, to spend some time with a prostitute in, Pro, in Proverbs 5, 8 through 12, Solomon says, keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your, your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say how I hated discipline and how my heart spurned correction. Man, I'll tell you what. You can't, you can't read this and say it has nothing to do with physical consequences. Everything that he mentions is a physical consequence. You're going to lose your strength. You're going to lose your years. You're going to lose your sexual vitality. You may even have uh, experience impotency because of your sexual immorality. You may experience uh, a desire. Uh, uh, you may not experience any sexual desires because of continuing sexual immorality. You're going to struggle in the area of, phys of the physical realm that you never dreamed was possible. Oh, well, how can it hurt if I just kind of keep on doing it? How can it hurt if I do it safe? How can it hurt if I wear a condom? How can it hurt if we take a shower? How can, oh, we'll protect ourselves. Hey, they got penicillin now. Hey, great. Big stinking deal. How do you protect yourself from these consequences? Only one way. You don't do it. You don't do it. 
Man, I've got, I could bore you to death. I got article after article, and, and sometimes all statistics do is just bore people, and, um, and I certainly can do it. You know, the disease, for, uh, disease Control in Atlanta, Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, they've got more stuff about AIDS. They've got more stuff about gonorrhea. They've got more stuff about syphilis. They've got more things in here about the epidemic proportions of every one of these physical diseases. It's unbelievable what's going on in our society. Unbelievable. And as long as we ignore it, then we don't have to deal with it. But the fact remains, and it's as simple as this. Let me just sum up every report you'll ever read. Here's the underlying report. All sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage places the participants in a risk group, period. The risk group, depending on what your activity is, will vary how risky it is but you're in a risk group. Gonorrhea, syphilis, AIDS, depends on your risk group, but you're still at risk. All sexual activity outside of marriage will place those participants in a risk group. Simple as that. And while you may take penicillin to take care of syphilis, you can't take penicillin to get rid of emotional distress. It doesn't go away. Maybe the physical scars may go away, but the emotional damage is done, and so it doesn't work. So as you go through this, you know, you start to look at all these things. I love what, oh, man, I hate this. I keep running out of time. I just don't know how to do this right. <laughs> but I'm working on it. I mean, I, you know what, I, I just, let, let me read this, because I'll just blow by some of this other stuff real quick. Because you don't really know how much stuff I got left anyway. <laughs> but now you're wondering, right? Yeah. Listen to this. This is great. Dr. Art Uline. Remember the guy who used to be on Channel 4? He wrote a book called Safe Sex in a Dangerous World. Listen to this excerpt from his book. This is, this is a classic. Says, we are told we can have safe sex by using condoms, avoiding anal intercourse, giving up other forms of sexual contact that to permit the exchange of body fluids and limiting the number of sex partners. These seem like ma minor inconveniences to endure for being able to continue an active sex life. But no one talks about condom failures, and few people realize that there is a risk of infection if the one partner you limit yourself to is carrying the AIDS virus. The term, quote, safe sex means different things to different people. But this is a time when we cannot afford flexible definitions. The concept of safe sex was initiated within the homosexual community. It was in part an attempt, an attempt by this group to protect the health, but also, more importantly, the lifestyles of its members. It was also partly an attempt by bathhouse operators to protect their businesses. In retrospect, it is clear that both groups underestimated the danger of AIDS and the need for more dramatic changes in sexual behavior if the spread of this disease was to be stopped, both within the homosexual community and beyond it. Since homosexual men were not the only ones who got the, quote, safe sex message from posters that were put up in bathhouses, the posters were given prominent coverage by television news programs and millions of Americans who saw them on their screens at home were left with the impression that, quote, safe sex was actually possible with an infected partner. The idea of safe sex picked up more steam as medical journals published studies showing that AIDS-like viruses could not penetrate the walls of condoms, at least not in the laboratory. Condom manufacturers worked hard to convince the public that the laboratory results would hold for actual use by humans, although the facts suggest that condoms are, in real life, less than 100% effective. says, I think it's time to stop talking about safe sex. I believe we should be talking about safe partners instead. A safe partner is one who has never been infected with the AIDS virus. With a safe partner, you don't have to worry about getting AIDS yourself. 
no matter what you do sexually, no matter how much protection you use while you do it. It says, truly safe sex is an all or nothing thing. Sex is either 100% safe or it is not. Even when it's almost safe, it is not safe. If you can't find a safe partner, don't kid yourself into believing that there is a perfectly safe alternative other than abstinence. It says, but no one talks about abstinence today. Judging by my mail, it was a somewhat surprised but approving Today Show audience who heard me suggest that abstinence is a reasonable alternative in these dangerous times. And I will say it again. If you can't be sure that you've got a safe partner, abstinence is the only sexual practice you can consider safe. Man, maybe that's what it takes. You know what's so sad? Why do we have to turn for a doctor's report to already validate what God says is true. We don't need medical research to validate the Word of God. God doesn't need help to make His point. He really doesn't. We need help to believe what He says is true. And so there's physical defilement and you can't get around it. And God promises all throughout His Word that He will judge us with physical consequences if we sin against Him. It's as simple as that. There's also marital difficulty. And that is, it goes without saying, but if you've got a situation where you've got someone having sex outside of your marital uh, bond and confidence and trust, you're going to go through hell. It's going to be a nightmare. There's nothing fun about it. It betrays the very trust of, and foundation of a relationship. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away, for jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he'll show no mercy when he takes revenge. He'll not accept any compensation. He'll, he'll refuse a bribe, however great it is. There's nothing you can do to ever make up for violating another person's wife or husband. Nothing. You can't pay him. You can't give him enough gifts. It'll always be a problem. And it'll be something that has to be dealt with. And the last thing is spiritual defeat. I mean, it should go without question, but the fact remains that, you know, David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, God told him in 2 Samuel 12, 14, but because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. There's nothing more confusing to a world that we profess to want to share Christ with and, and say that God's got a better program than watching an area of our life where we're not walking in obedience. If you're single and you're having sex and you're trying to share the gospel with people, it just destroys your credibility before them. Wait, I don't understand that. Doesn't the Bible, doesn't this God that you serve have anything to say about that area of your life? Well, yeah, he does, but it's pretty flexible. Oh, well, good, then he's probably flexible about everything then too, huh? So I guess it'd be flexible about my relationship with them and how I'm supposed to get to know them and all the rest of that stuff. So it's a flexible program. That's the way it is. It's flexible. Everything's flexible. And it destroys our testimony. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or adulterers. That in that case, you would have to leave this world. But I'm writing to you that you may, must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, don't even eat. What business is there in mind to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. And he says, expel the wicked man from among you. Spiritual defeat, loss of fellowship with God, loss of fellowship with one another. That should be a consequence for sexual immorality because God's program is to bring about repentance. It's not to crush people. It's not to destroy people. God loves homosexuals. God loves adulterers. God loves people who have sex with animals. God loves everybody. But He hates that sin. He hates adultery. He hates homosexuality. 
He hates the sin of bestiality. He hates the sin of rape. He hates the sin of fornication. He hates sexual immorality. But he loves people. You know what? And no message on the subject would be complete without bringing some good news into the whole program. And that is because sexual desires come from our heart and is a choice that we make, it also means that we have a choice not to make that choice. We have a choice to say, Lord, I'm committed to you and your ways, and I'm not going to violate your word in that area of my life. I have a choice to make of saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to flee from immorality. I'm going to stop doing it if I'm doing it. I'm going to agree with you that what you say is wrong is wrong. And I'm going to repent from it. And that means very simply this. If a person is a homosexual and they agree with what God says that homosexuality is wrong, it says not only will I stop having a homosexual relationship, but now I'm going to turn and I'm going to go in a new direction and I'm going to channel these sexual desires in a way that's pleasing to God. And if it means I have to marry a woman or if I have to marry, I'm going to do it. That's what I got to do. And if I'm having an affair with someone and, and it's not pleasing to God, that means I agree with God. Lord, what you're saying is right. I've got to stop doing it today. Right this moment, I'm going to stop doing it. And I'm going to take all that love and channeling sexual desires from that person and I'm going to turn them and I'm going to head right back to my wife who deserves it and that's supposed to be what God has for her. And I'm going to do it. It's not just agreeing with God saying that it's right, but it's repenting and turning from it and going in the direction that is pleasing to God. That is the only way that we will please God in the area of our sexual behavior. That's it. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Let me read you a letter and we'll close. Richard Halverson was a uh, chaplain to the Senate for about 10 years. And he writes this letter. Uh, I love what he wrote. And he says this. What's wrong with sex outside marriage? Isn't it just an old-fashioned, pious, Victorian idea, out-of-date, ancient, a little bit naive for the times that we live in? Is sex meant to be only a physical thrill? You know, as many orgasms as possible. Is that all there is to sex? It says sex in its most fundamental sense is knowing. It is to know and to be known. It is the most basic human relationship. It is the ultimate in human intimacy. It is thoughtfulness, tenderness, courtesy, gentleness, kindness, selflessness at their best. It is love in the ultimate. It said it means caring, sharing, learning about another, giving oneself to another. It is a covenant relationship, a God-created relationship. Sex is God's idea. Designed for human pleasure in its, in its consummate potential. And incidentally, sex is God's way of perpetuating the human race. It says, in light of this reality, promiscuous sex is the ultimate in human degradation, disappointment, and disillusion. Non-fulfillment makes a plaything out of a person. Lust is a caricature of love, a tragic, vicious destroyer. As love matures, satisfaction increases, as does the capacity to enjoy it. Love, lust is never satisfied. It is animalistic in its nature, animalistic pleasure. It feeds on itself, requiring more and more with increasing boredom, indifferent to human dignity, selfishly demanding more and more from its partner with indecent and often cruel acts. He says, Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? 
God forbid it. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. You need to flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body. But he who committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, which you have of God, and you are not of your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. Purity pleases God. Let's pray. Our Father, it's a rather somber message, obviously, in a society that's geared toward physical pleasure. But yet, we can see your love permeating through all of it. It's not your desire that we don't have fun. It's not your desire that you stop us from doing things that we think are good for us. But it's your desire to help us to see that the things that we often think are good for us are the things that actually will destroy our lives if we continue to go unchecked. We're just grateful, Lord, too, that as your word teaches that in that church in Corinth where Paul was dealing with this subject of immorality, there were adulterers, there were fornicators, there were homosexuals, there were liars, there were swindlers, there were cheats, there were drunkards. And he said, and such were some of you. That Christ's love for people transcends even the vilest sexual sin. And you tell us why you love the sinner, you hate the sin. Yet help us as your people love the sinner. And yet take a firm stand on what you say about the sin. It's a very difficult thing to walk that fine line in showing love and yet showing the truth of your word. Give us sensitive and compassionate hearts for those who are struggling in the area of their sexual beings. Help us to encourage them, to teach them your word, and to do whatever it takes to bring them around to seeing that what you say is true. And Lord, we just thank you that it's great news, and, and great news indeed, that we can share with one another. That no matter where a person is at that point in time, it says you've demonstrated your love for us, and yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we just thank you and praise you that because it's a desire in our heart, we can also have the desire to walk in obedience with you. We can walk by the Spirit so that we don't carry out the desires of our flesh. And we just thank you for the power and the strength that you give us to flee that immorality, to flee that temptation, and providing a way of escape. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.